You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talkback program. Well, folks, today being Remembrance Day, November 11th, 2006, uh, I thought it'd be absolutely appropriate that we speak with this gentleman. In 1994, Canadian General Romeo Dallaire led a hopelessly underfunded UN peacekeeping mission to Rwanda. Abandoned by the Western powers, he watched helplessly as more than 800,000 Rwandans were slaughtered in 100 days. And as the genocide raged, Dallaire was condemned to peer into the heart of darkness to witness the failure of humanity to shake hands with the devil. And that's how this movie that I just watched recently started, with that little little blurb. Please welcome to the show, General Dallaire. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Well, it's hard to imagine, uh, but some of our listeners are still ignorant as to what exactly happened back in 1994. So concisely put, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you were sent there as the commander of the UN peacekeeping forces to babysit, or at the very least be a passive bystander to one of the worst atrocities the world has ever seen, while the rest of the West kind of stood by and did nothing. Is that right? Well, it started off as a classic peacekeeping mission, just like Cyprus, uh, where both sides wanted us there. And as such, we are there to simply observe and report and make sure they're playing by the rules. Uh, But if one side decides that it's not going to play anymore by the rules and is going to relaunch uh, the war or the conflict, uh, and if the other side responds, then we as a UN mission have no more mandate, nor are we equipped, uh, nor are the countries prepared to let their troops stay in that sort of condition, and that's what happened. The peace agreement degenerated into political stagnations, assassinations, uh, massacres, riots, and ultimately degenerated into a civil war that then fell into a humanitarian catastrophe, which was the genocide. Your heart rate must have changed on April 6th in 94 when all hell breaks loose. I mean, the president, the president's plane goes down. Right. You must have just swallowed your guts. Well, the, the rhythm of life accelerated to sort of 5,000 RPM, and we essentially lived for nearly four months on adrenaline alone uh, as the, the unfolding of a, of a deliberate plan to slaughter Ultimately, they were going after 1,200,000 people, and they slaughtered uh, about 800,000. Wow. Now that more than 10 years has passed, mm-hmm. which group do you have the hardest time maybe forgiving? The Belgians, the French, the Italians, the Vatican? <laughs> well, you've been well-researched because uh, they're all players in this exercise, uh, and the Americans and the Brits and the French, uh, who are the leading powers in the world, who essentially emasculated the, the UN from being able to do something because they're the ones both on the Security Council but also part of the, the international community that refused to give the UN the tools it needed. And so Canada, although we, we did send some reinforcements, I got a, a dozen officers, we kept a, an aircraft flying because nobody else wanted to and Canada said, no, we'll keep a Hercules flying. In fact, a couple of them. Uh, and when... The war was nearly over. Finally, we started to get some reinforcements, and Canada was sending me uh, uh, at that time. But essentially, no one provided me with the capability to stop the genocide uh, and and stop the civil war. And because no one did, the UN could say what it wanted to. It had no power nor no capability to do it. You know what drives me nuts, I think, the most about all this is that the Catholic Church could have stopped the whole stinking thing. 
Well, and, and I, when I was spent a year in Boston studying, uh, I was invited to speak at Boston College, which is a Jesuit university. Yeah. And and uh, I was asked by the the principal, uh, the president, to speak about the Rwandan Catholic Church. I mean, the Catholic Church in the Rwanda and and the genocide. And the title of my presentation was the complicity of the Catholic Church of Rwanda and the genocide. Hmm. And in there, argued that even in their schools, uh, even in the hierarchy of the of the Catholic Church, the Hutus were favored. And the Hutus of the north were favored because they were closest to the president and to the, the dictatorship uh, than the others against the, against the Tutsis. So they, they didn't stop this. It was nurtured even within the church structure. Well, now that you've had a couple of years to reflect on the 10-year anniversary, mm. how do you think it went? Well, the 10-year the anniversary reflected very much what happened 10 years earlier. That is, nearly nobody came. I mean, no one of any substance except for uh, the Belgian prime minister who did attend uh, and a, a minister from France. Uh, everybody else sent some pretty low-level representatives, and it was as if uh, people were hoping that this thing would disappear from the map. And one of the ambitions that I kept uh, coming out of Rwanda was that I will never let the Rwandan genocide Die. I mean, the Rwandans don't have the 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 clout, the money, the 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 effort, the, the dynamics internationally as let's say the Jewish community with the Holocaust, nor the 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 people who've lived uh, through that process. Uh, so that if we don't watch it, uh, Rwanda will simply go to revisionism and then it disappears. And so it'll just make it much easier to do Darfur's as we see today. Exactly, exactly. Well said. Folks, we're on the uh, phone with General Dallaire, who, of course, led the U.N. peacekeeping mission during the Rwanda genocide. I wonder, uh, General Dallaire, if you think Clinton's visit in 1998 really accomplished what I think he wanted to accomplish, or do you think people, especially the Rwandans, do you think they believe his claims of not knowing what was going on? Now, you, I'm really glad you asked that question, because I, I have never had the chance of meeting him subsequently, but I think he's getting off very easy and people are getting sucked in. Let me put it this way. In, in 1993, six months before the Rwandan genocide, you might remember Mogadishu, the film Black Hawk Down was made, mm. where American rangers were, were dragged through the streets, were killed in Mogadishu, and the Americans pulled out. Clinton uh, brought in a directive that said that they will not get involved in any humanitarian action unless it's in their self-interest. He did that three weeks before the Rwandan genocide and refused to get to participate in the Rwandan genocide. I mean, rather than Albright said it in the Security Council. Now, four years later, he goes and says, geez, I didn't realize it was that bad, that fast, and so on. But what, what he's saying is the truth. He didn't have that data. But the reason he didn't have it is that he had established a policy, his, his administration, that they didn't want to know. Because the stuff I've gotten data, uh, that stuff was in the Pentagon, was in the State Department, National Security Advisor, but it was being stopped from getting to his office because he had said that we're not going to get involved and he just didn't want to know. So he's right, he said, in, in not knowing, but he's dead guilty of establishing an atmosphere not to know. Man, that just blows me away. Absolutely blows me away. You know, I, when I think about the 10th anniversary and who didn't show up, uh, who, who did show up? Was it Tutsis and Hutus both together? 
they they did, but but uh, you could tell that there was the 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 Tutsis were more dominant because. Of course, they had been targeted, mm. and uh, a lot of Tutsis who were part of the diaspora had come back uh, after the war, and and as such, uh, were taking on a fair amount of responsibility uh, all all around the place. But but uh, that reconciliation process is still ongoing, and I mean, just like if you went to a a person who survived the Holocaust and asked them when did the Holocaust happen, they'll say it happened this morning. So vivid does it remain. And so for the Rwandans, although it's now 12 years, it's still as if it happened this morning. And in that context, reconciliation is very difficult. But I, my sort of uh, take on this and work I've been doing uh, says that reconciliation will be possible if more and more of these male-dominated societies empower the women and the mothers and give proper education to the kids. It'll take a couple of generations, but they'll work through it. General Dallaire, how were you received after you apologized for failing them? Uh, a lot of them just didn't understand what we, what we were there for because they had asked uh, the UN to come in uh, to not only be a neutral force, but also to protect. But we never got the mandate from the Security Council to protect, nor the structures or the people. And uh, as much as we passed the word, the government at the time, the extremist government, prevented that information to get through. So many of them thought that we had failed in not protecting them, when in fact none of the countries who had provided the troops to me had given their troops the authority to do protection. And in fact, three weeks into the genocide, they were still debating in New York whether I was allowed protecting the 30,000 people I had under my protection then. So the, the Rwandans, as they f find out what happened, uh, have a, a perspective of, of being at least reconciliatory. And uh, I've, I've simply come clean with them, and, and that's it. I said, my mission failed, and hundreds of thousands died, and, and that's the fact. Yeah, and well said. I, I was uh, stunned at that moment during the movie that I... I watched recently again. Speaking of movies, Hotel Rwanda, you've obviously seen mm. that. Would you would you say that was a fairly accurate, or was that a Hollywood version of the whole thing? Oh, well, the, the Hollywood had a great time in that. Uh, I mean, the, the gentleman in question was not particularly uh, what is being depicted. The hotel guy? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, um, uh, to, but in order for a movie... Often you'll play up a person, you know, with with the other one sort of being diminished a bit. But uh, it's some of the ethical dilemmas that uh, Nick Nolte, as he was playing me and a couple others, uh, did come through. And I tend to to respond to Hotel Rwanda saying it's okay because it it brought Rwanda back to the forefront of people's attention, and many people sort of wondered what we were doing when when that happened. And so it's been positive that way. You know, during that conference on the Rwanda genocide in Kigali, mm -hmm. April 6, 2004, this, this arrogant Belgian show-off senator accuses you of three mistakes, that you obeyed orders that were criminal instead of saving the lives of Tutsis. Mm. And then there was this applause. Where was that coming from? The, the, the applause came, in fact, from a number of the population uh, the Tutsis who were there, you know, finding out, trying to find out what the hell happened. And there was been a, a, a um, uh, how do you say that, sort of a, um, a, a latent uh, taste or uh, bad taste in the mouth of many Tutsis 
still with the UN, where in fact uh, what often they find out when they go a little deeper right. is it wasn't the UN that failed him, it was the sovereign states that didn't want to give the UN the tools to stop it. Right. And then he says that you drove past Camp Kigali where two Belgian soldiers lay murdered and six others were still alive. And of course he wanted you to go in and, and uh, risk many more lives to save the, you know, possibly, possibly save the other Belgian soldiers. Mm-hmm. What was the third accusation he, he threw out at you? Uh, of of not being uh, committed to uh, the families of the of the soldiers. Oh, that's right. He wanted you to uh, apologize to their families, and, and and but you were you were unavailable for that. Yeah, which, well, which you you called him on dead set. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, uh, and and uh, I mean the families we've communicated uh, right after all that happened, but it, it is difficult for me to 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 discuss with with the Belgian community because uh, the first reason is is that uh, when they took the casualties the government pulled out their troops just like the Americans did in Mogadishu and and totally undermined the mission from being able to do anything else wow. and convinced everybody else that we should be pulled out including uh, orders that I got to pull out which I refused because the, they said that when black Africans have a catastrophic situation, they lose all sense of proportion, and we were all going to be slaughtered. So uh, Boutrous Gali ordered me out, and I said, no, we're not leaving. Uh, and I was able to keep a small garrison of about 450. Um, and uh, the other dimension uh, of, uh, of that was is that the trauma in Belgium of the loss of 10 soldiers is not insignificant. Imagine it happening here. But the fact that that colonial power has a colony that fell into genocide of which a lot of it stemmed from their time as colonial masters where they they supported one side against the other uh, and yet there's next to nothing being stated about the 800,000 runners that were slaughtered because everybody abandoned us uh, but the loss of 10 white soldiers however that's that's important yeah yeah, that was just a tad disproportionate, let yeah. me tell you. Yeah. So, I mean, the question is, is you know, are, are all humans human, or are some considered more human than the others? General Dallaire, you said that it took seven years before you could write the book, and it took you three years to write it. Yeah. You went through a time of taking pills. There was that whole park bench, passed out drunk thing, thoughts of suicide. You couldn't sleep. A quote from you, the loudness of silence, which I, I understand that. What got you through all of that? I mean, or, or do you still have times of intense darkness and depression? Well, I still take therapy and I still take pills, and and they weren't thoughts; they were attempts. And um, those, the injury of post-traumatic stress disorder is is different than a physical, classic physical injury, because often with a classic physical injury, you can work through by a prosthesis or some means of working around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the psychological injury, which affects physically the brain, but of course the psyche, is something that attacks you when it feels like it. And so even though you're on medication and you get therapy, it can all of a sudden reappear and open up boxes of your memory, which you had totally put away and come back and haunt you. And so you are continuously vulnerable uh, to these things uh, reappearing. And if you don't get support or you're not supported, uh, it could lead to catastrophic uh, consequences. You know, I think about you a lot, mate. I, I really do. I've prayed for you a number of times, and I, mm. wonder, I wonder how the journey of self-forgiveness is going. That will never happen. I mean, at the command, as a commander, that failure was simply, 
I mean, you can't get away if you're standing neck deep in bodies, literally, yeah. and and you can't just say, well, I did the best I could. That just doesn't cut but, it. But, uh, General Dallaire, I know that you held yourself responsible, which to me as a civilian outsider, having very little understanding of your kind of life, it just seems ludicrous that you would still hold yourself accountable for the death of almost a million people. When, when they educate us in the military as officers, they teach us what the art of command. And, and command means complete responsibility. Because you have under your authority the, the, the authority of life and death of your own soldiers and of people who are opposing you. Plus, in this new era, people that you are protecting. And, and in that context, it's sort of like being, uh, or sort of like pregnancy. You're either pregnant or you're not. There's no middle road here. And so you either, your mission is either a success or a failure. And if it's a failure, then you as the commander carry it. Where does the devil fit in on all this? I mean, here's some quotes from you, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, Paradise was assaulted by the devil, and the devil did his best to destroy it. Mm -hmm. The battle was against evil, against the devil. Mm -hmm. What kind of concept do you have of, of the devil? Are you talking about a real supernatural entity or just the devil within mankind? I mean, we're, we're no, I, that apart. No, it's interesting because, and uh, as I also say, that because I have touched and negotiated with the devil, I also sense the presence of, of ultimate good, of, 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 another, of another being, uh, a positive being. And, and the devil came through my experience of negotiating with the actual extremist leaders, the militia leaders, who were doing the slaughtering and ordering it. And, and, and just touching them, they, they felt different. They didn't feel a, a, a human temperature. It was a coldness that was not a temperature. It was like a state and their eyes and so on. And so they personified evil because I've come out of that with a firmer belief that, in fact, humans seek serenity. Even the most evil a person seeks serenity for his own being and his own people. And so the aim is, is how do you prevent the frictions amongst humans to degenerate into catastrophic failure like conflict or genocide and so on. Mm. And that's the aim of the exercise. And so uh, in, in the case of Rwanda, to me, it was a, a, a foreign uh, influence in moving these people to the extreme. Because you must remember that to be a genocide and have a plan, somebody had to plan it. And, and those people who planned it, those the dozen or so people who planned it, are safe now in France because they were protected by the French when they pulled them out. But they sat around the table and they said, you know, how do we keep power? And, and in that group, the idea of slaughtering 1,200,000 people came up. I mean, they, they actually thought that out. So what brings that thought into, the, into humanity is the devil, is the evil that is not a natural state. You know, I, I've been a follower of Christ for over 20 years now and call myself a Christian, uh, even though that word has been polluted uh, time and time again. But one of the things that keeps me believing in the God stuff is the presence of evil. As you said, if I, and this is a quote from you, if I've been able literally to shake hands with the devil, it only seems logical that there's another entity because there is that extreme of evil, then there is the other extreme of the pursuit of good. Yeah. Tell me about that night you were touched by a positive entity. We, the mission uh, was in the midst of the first days of, of the genocide uh, the extremist uh, elite battalions were preparing to conduct an assault on my headquarters 
because we were protecting some of the moderate uh, uh, leaders that they wanted to kill. They had successfully done a lot of others. And, and in this incredible moment where I knew I didn't have the troops to stop it, and nor was I convinced that some of them that I had with me would have done anything about it anyways, um, there was this sort of uh, terrible darkness that sort of overwhelmed me. And, and, and all of a sudden there was this, this, this sense of, of a breeze through the screen. I was standing in the window in total darkness, uh, and, I, and I rejuvenated with, with a sort of an instantaneous state of, 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 uh, of conviction, of, of positive uh, ability to come through this, and that we were going to sustain uh, this, this horrible uh, scenario. And, and to me, it, it was as if there was something did that. It just didn't appear. Really? And that's it. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, look, I appreciate the time. Uh, you know, this this Remembrance Day, thanks to you uh, and what you've done, what you're continuing to do this Remembrance Day, we will, I think, remember Rwanda. Well, I would be most appreciative if you do that and help me enormously on the cause of getting Canada involved in Darfur. Thank you so much, General okay. Dallaire. Yeah, all the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that is one incredible man, let me tell you. Romeo Dallaire, General, Senator, Romeo Dallaire. You want to uh, go to Blockbuster and rent the movie Shake Hands with the Devil, a tremendous, uh, tremendous movie, documentary on his life, uh, the 10th anniversary going back to the uh, Rwandan genocide. Also, of course, Hotel Rwanda, very interesting story as well, a bit Hollywood eyes, but not too bad. Uh, Nick Nolte plays... Uh, General Dallaire in that movie. All right, we're going to take a break on our show this Remembrance Day. And when we come back, we're going to ask some questions to you folks. Has the war in Iraq gone on long enough, or should they stay and finish the job? Like, when is enough enough? Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld gets dumped. Uh, President Bush's tone seems to have changed remarkably after the Democrats have tightened the noose. Has the war in Iraq gone on too long? The war in Afghanistan? The war against terror? We'll take your calls after this. Stay with us. Like what you've heard? Listen again online at drewmarshall.ca.